This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. There is a new word in the modern American lexicon coined by my next guest to describe the disturbing nexus of racism and sexism that black women face, especially in the digital realm, misogynoir. Exploring the landscape of racist and sexist stereotypes aimed at black women, the harm such tropes perpetrate, and how black women are banding together in solidarity is the new book, Misogynoir Transformed, Black Women's Digital Resistance by Moya Bailey. She's an assistant professor in the Department of Cultures, Societies, and Global Studies, and the program in Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies at Northeastern University. She's also the digital alchemist for the Octavia E. Butler Legacy Network and an M. MLK Visiting Scholar at MIT. Welcome to the program, Moya. Thank you so much for having me, Sonali. Before we uh, finish this interview, I need to know what a digital alchemist is. And I know you write about this term alchemist in your book, but let's of course start with the word itself, misogynoir. You have coined this term. I sort of very vaguely tried to describe it. Let me turn it over to you. How do you explain this to a lay audience? What do you mean when you use this term? Well, I think you did a fantastic job of describing it. The way I describe misogynoir is the anti-racist Black misogyny that is uh, really at the heart of how people come to understand uh, Black women. So the way that, um, or I should say the anti-Black racist misogyny that uh, describes Black women and shapes how Black women are treated in our society and that uh, anti-Black racist misogyny is something that is not just the sum of its parts, but is really, uh, as you said, a nexus. But I like to also say it's something that's sickly synergistic. It's something that becomes larger than uh, just racism and misogyny, that it coheres together in a way that makes uh, Black women uniquely targeted for all kinds of negative perceptions that have real material consequence on their lives and on their health outcomes. So, of course, we've had uh, huge problems in Hollywood and in traditional screens, if you will, uh, in terms of stereotypes, but specifically in the digital realm, in social media, on these platforms where things go viral, in, in this landscape that's, you know, just a decade or two old, how has the uh, misogynist, anti-Black racism and sexism that you dub misogynist or how has that kind of gained steam in that realm and why has it? Well, I think you identified a really important feature of misogynoir in this current digital moment. And that is uh, the capacity or the propensity for things to go viral. There is an explosion and an expansion of how fast material can move in digital space. So something that happens in one place doesn't just stay there. It has the potential to ripple out and have multiple long lasting effects. And I think that's what makes misogynoir so dangerous in digital spaces. So in naming misogynoir, I was actually working on uh, my dissertation and looking at this critical moment in the history of medicine, uh, 1910, when medical schools really get consolidated and uh, standardized 
But what I saw in those early documents actually mirrored representations of Black women that I was seeing contemporarily. And so the fact that the characterization of Black women hadn't shifted all that much in the intervening almost 100 years really told me that even though I'm naming something uh, in this contemporary moment, it actually has this legacy that needs to be addressed. And the digital realm just makes it all the more easy for these negative portrayals to really move and proliferate in our society. Let's talk about some examples of misogynoir. I mean, it sometimes, you know, feels all too easy to sort of laugh things off, dismiss it as just, oh, this is just all in good fun. Um, but you point out some very specific um, sort of hashtags that have emerged um, that uh, that I honestly, to tell you the truth, hadn't heard of. But when I started exploring it, was was really horrified. Um, one of them is uh, hashtag ruin a black girl's Monday or hashtag, and I'll use that. FCC friendly term here, crap black girls say. Um, what are some of these, can you explore some of these for our audience and how they are examples of misogynoir? Yes, so I'll start actually with the second, uh, the, uh, I guess, radio friendly version, crap black girls say. And it actually was a, another iteration of a very popular video that was circulating on YouTube and went viral itself called Crap Girls Say. And that video uh, featured a white male comedian uh, pretending to be a white woman and kind of making fun of a lot of things you might associate with white women of a particular class and of a particular education. And so similarly, Crap Black Girls Say attempted to poke fun at black girls, but what happens when these uh, particular videos circulate is they end up becoming people's understanding of who Black girls are. And they, they also contribute to uh, an already very difficult and negative portrayal of Black women as in they are too masculine, uh, that Black women are overtly manly. So when you have a man in a dress doing this sort of portrayal, this drag, it actually has real consequences for cis black women and for trans black women. And so it perpetuates this idea that trans women aren't real women, uh, perpetuates this idea that black women are inherently masculine and also something to be made fun of. So these caricatures have a lot, uh, do a lot of damage even as they are uh, purported to be uh, a place of levity, at least for some people. But I would say that, you know, it isn't the case that all Black women are laughing and that uh, Black women are interpolated into these images in ways that have material consequences on their lives. And some of those material consequences look like uh, Black women being pushed out of uh, sports. I'm thinking about uh, the case of Castor Semenya, a South African runner who uh, has been deemed too masculine for the sport and all of these conversations about her body and her hormonal levels very much uh, attendant uh, to these ideas of Black women as hyper-masculine. Right, we've seen that with uh, Black women gymnasts and skaters and tennis players and, and it's it's been quite interesting to and, and kind of 
you know, a part of this disturbing trend. Now, going back to this idea that there is um, this trope in the digital realm of black men portraying women to push the stereotype of, as you said, manliness among girls or women, um, does that trace back to the very, very successful actor Tyler Perry's portrayal of Medea, his incredibly successful franchise of the Medea films? Is that something? What, what were the consequences of that whole sort of um, trend in Hollywood? Yes, and I would say it even predates uh, Tyler Perry and, and Medea that you can go back to Flip Wilson and his character Geraldine and, uh, uh, Martin Lawrence and Shanene, uh, there are lots of characterizations of Black women by Black male comedians. And part of the comedy is the audience's recognition that these are men who are dressing up as women. And also because they are dressing up as women, they are considered ugly women. So that ugliness is also part of the laugh because a lot of these women uh, in their characterization uh, are super confident and, and uh, expressing sexual desire in ways that the audience can laugh at because they assume and uh, connected to this idea that, you know, this is a man in a dress. So this woman thinking that she's beautiful is, is very laughable. And so we can see how that particular trope then has real consequences for how people might interpret uh, trans women, that they get unfairly pulled into this and deemed uh, not real women because of that stereotype and that trope. And there's this really wonderful film uh, on Netflix called Disclosure that's really looking at uh, the history of trans people in film and talking about what it means that, you know, cis male actors portrayed trans women and how that actually has a pretty damaging effect because people associate the uh, triumph of their acting with going and portraying this uh, person that seems so far from themselves. And part of showing, you know, the, the real work that the actor had to do is juxtaposing their uh, image as a cis man with this character that's on film. And that that uh, really contributes to this idea that trans women aren't who they say they are. Let's talk about how women are banding together, resisting these stereotypes. Uh, your, the title of your book is uh, Misogynoir Transformed Black Women's Digital Resistance. One of the key figures who is seeking to re-control, if you will, or re retake the control of the narrative is Janet Mock, an incredibly uh, successful, well-known black trans woman who has been a, a, a champion for transgender rights. Um, she also had a little blurb at the back of your book. You cite her in your book. How? What are the roles? What is the role that uh, that a woman like her plays, and black women in general being active in the digital realm to take back the narrative, if you will? Yes, great question. And I would say Janet Mock was actually a large part of the inspiration for the text itself. Uh, her hashtag Girls Like Us really created an opportunity for trans women to connect with one another, to challenge some of the stereotypes that 
exist and create a network of community. So using the hashtag girls like us, Janet Mock was able to bring together uh, trans women online and that digital space and network became an opportunity for people to share information about supportive doctors, information about uh, housing, also to just celebrate uh, success in life and things that were going on in, in people's worlds. And that network exists still to this day. And through that network, a lot of really positive and important projects were able to develop. I think that hashtag girls like us also helped prepare, propel uh, Janet Mock's career. And now we see her as one of the executive producers of Pose, a writer and director on the show, and Pose having this real uh, cultural imprint that is beyond the digital. You know, we've moved from seeing trans women on the sidelines to this very visible uh, production that is for and by trans women. And I think that definitely changes how people are viewed in society. And not to you know, oversell uh, the importance of representation and being visible, you know, there are costs to that visibility as we've seen you know, the last couple of years, some of the deadliest on record for trans women's survival. But I do think that this both and of increasing visibility allows for trans women's narratives to get out there and then simultaneously also creates other opportunities uh, for, for new narratives to emerge. How difficult is it to navigate a space when, unfortunately, many leading perpetrators of misogynoir are Black men, um, who are also, of course, the targets and victims of white supremacy, whether it's through police brutality or through the negative stereotypes that target men, uh, Black men themselves? Such a great question, Sonali. And I really think that's the crux of the text is trying to get us away from the assumption that there are good and bad people, that we actually have people who exhibit and perpetuate harm, uh, who can actually be people who experience harm themselves. And this is one of the reasons the text is called Misogynoir Transformed, because with transformed, I'm trying to invoke uh, transformative justice, this real call for us to move away from the police and to also understand that people who perpetuate violence are often victims and experience violence themselves. So I think it's been a very delicate dance that people have tried to, to navigate between uh, the violence that is caused by in-group members and the violence that is caused by others. And even that in-group violence, of course, we know has its roots in some of the uh, you know, systems of oppression that you named, like white supremacy, um, homophobia, transphobia, et cetera. Uh, but when we internalize those structures, then we end up perpetuating that violence on people in our own communities. And what trans uh, misogynoir transformed is asking us to consider are ways that we can open up and challenge those particular practices and hopefully move towards a practice that is less harmful to all involved. 
How active are Black women in digital spaces these days? I mean, there was a time when every time we talked about social media, you know, maybe a decade or so ago, there was discussion of the digital divide. But these days, Black Twitter is so, so active uh, on TikTok, on, on some of these newer uh, platforms. Young Black people in particular are among the leading edge of trendsetters and, uh, you know, hashtag creators. Um, and and so, so the first part of the question is how, how active are Black women in particular in, and how effective is their attempt to transform misogynoir? Again, really helpful question. I mean, I would say that one way that we can kind of gauge how TikTok and some of these other platforms are being leveraged by minoritized populations, specifically Black women, is the trending that you're talking about. So seeing um, the viral success of some of the dances, et cetera, that black, black youth are doing, particularly Black girls. But unfortunately, it is also the case that they are having to fight for their work to be connected to them. So there have been a couple of cases where Black girls who have created viral dances haven't been given the recognition, and you know, a white girl who copies the dance is the one who gets promoted and seen as the initiator. And invited so on I, to TV shows and late night news shows and exactly. yeah, get all the sponsorships. It's, and That's it. So I think there's still some work to be done around how these platforms engage with uh, the way that Black Twitter and Black people are using these platforms. And also, I do think that we're going to see you know, new people migrating to new platforms and different demographics on those platforms. Something that's been interesting to me uh, just in the time of writing this book that when I started, I thought I was gonna write about Facebook, uh, but the demographics of Facebook have shifted. You know, who's on Facebook? It's a much older crowd. It's not uh, young people. The age demographics and also uh, other demographics of Facebook users versus TikTok users are very, very different. And so I see uh, people migrating to the tools that work for them. So uh, to the last question, you know, if there is a platform that is working, I think people will find it and utilize it. Uh, I don't have any doubt that people will find the tools that are helpful to them in enacting the kind of change and transformation they want to see. Where can people find out more about your work and your book? And also tell me about being a digital alchemist for the Octavia E. Butler legacy. I'm a big fan of her work. Yes, so I'll start with that question first. Digital alchemy is a term that I coined that I also discuss in the book. And I talk about it as the way that uh, women of color, particularly black women, use the platforms, the digital tools that are set out for them, and then create social justice media magic uh, through those, uh, using them in ways that I don't think that the creators of these platforms ever intended. So as the digital alchemist for the Octavia Butler Network, I do a lot of work to help uh, live in and help to promote the legacy of Octavia Butler 
in digital space. So, uh, and for just by the way, for people who are not familiar with her work, one of the most well-known Black science fiction writers, who is actually buried in a, um, a cemetery very close to where I live, and um, I'm just yeah, she's she's amazing. Oh, so you should um, also meet uh, the founder who lives very close to there, Ayana Jameson, who gives tours of Octavia Butler's haunts in the Pasadena area. So if you're interested, I'll connect you. I would love that. Uh, but if you want to, if you want to learn more about what I'm up to uh, and about the book, you can find it at transformmassagenoir.com. And that's with one M, transformmassagenoir.com. And you can also find me on Twitter at Moya ZV, Moya Z is in zebra, B is in Bailey, at, uh, or on Twitter. And we'll post links to both of those. Moya, what a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much and good luck with the book. Thank you so much. It's been my, a pleasure. My guest has been Moya Bailey. She's an assistant professor in the Department of Culture, Societies and Global Studies and in the program in Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies at Northeastern University. She's the digital alchemist for the Octavia E. Butler Legacy Network and an MLK visiting scholar at MIT. We've been discussing her new book, Massage Noir Transformed Black Women's digital resistance. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. We're online at risingupwithsonali.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter, find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify.